Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 350, recorded August 29th, 2023, and I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Hawkins. And this episode is brought to you by Sentry. Make sure those errors don't go unnoticed and you get to them quickly with the right information. Check them out at pythonbytes.fm slash Sentry. We'll tell you more about them later. And of course, connect with us over on Mastodon at mkennedy, at Brian Aachen, at pythonbytes, all at fostodon.org. And if you want to be part of the live stream, part of the live audience, that's usually on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific time, as we are recording today. So if you can drop by and be part of the show, we would love that. If not, well, thanks for listening anyway. <laughs> Brian, let's kick this off. Just a quick little um, article from Bob Belderbos uh, to remind us to keep things simple. And, um, and there's a lot of ways in Python where you can make elegant looking code, but it also is easier to read. And that's, I, I think, some of the emphasis. Um, so uh, Bob from PyBytes, and they, they see a lot of, They've got all those challenges, so they, I'm sure they see a lot of uh, examples of like not quite elegant code, but it does the trick. Um, so I think this is good advice from a good person. So like, uh, uh, and there's just a whole bunch. There's just a handful of these here, but they're they're all really good things. Like for instance, um, uh, using the keyword all. I don't use it that much, but here's an example. He's got an, a function where um, he wants to know if uh, if all uh, all things in a, uh, in a list are divisible by, uh, by some number. Um, and there's like a, uh, a function he wrote with just like an, uh, for, for, you know, a for loop that goes through the whole thing. However, he rewrote it as a, as a, uh, what, what is that called? It uses all, but it's, um, uh, comprehension, um, I believe. So all numbers uh, divided by divisor equals zero for divisor and divisors. So it's kind of neat. I think it actually might be a generator. Is it a generator? A, I okay. think it might be, but yeah, when it's passed as an argument, yeah. parentheses don't really tell you which it is, does it? It doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's pretty I'm gonna cool. I'm going to find that out for us. Pretty cool to use the, use that generator or whatever in, <laughs> as an argument to a function. That's pretty, pretty slick. Um, and it's pretty easy to read still, I think. I, I still think maybe, well, with the function name, you kind of get what it's going uh, at. But if it was out of scope of a function, both of these uh, methods would have used a, could, could use a comment here or there. Uh, dictionary lookups. I love this part. I use it all the time. Uh, the dictionary has a get function. So normally you uh, reference a key, in a key in a dictionary with just brackets. Um, but if you want to make, have some default value if it's not there use get instead so you grab a key and then the second value is the is the value um anyway uh this this saves a lot of code because i do this all the time um for dictionary lookups uh and then it goes through quite a few others just it's a good good list we've got list comprehensions don't forget those they list comprehensions are wonderful we both love those um looking for unique values this one i had to look at for a while it was interesting um you're looking uh i actually didn't understand the first one that well but um making sure that um all items in a set or items in a something are are unique by taking the length and then doing a set of items and then the length. anyway just a, lots hmm. of lots of fun tricks to um uh to to shorten your code and make it a little more readable so i love it 
there's all these non-obvious ways, you know, counter. I know Bob is a big fan of the counter class, but yeah, that that's a really slick way to. What is he trying to do with this last one? Counting things. Yeah, counters counters pretty cool. Just to count. You've things. got a paragraph or like some text, and you want to say how which words appear, and then how frequently do they appear? You could split on space, and you know, throw away the um, punctuation. Yeah, and and like just basically a couple lines of right, sentence dot split, <laughs> and that's it. And you count that. It's awesome. It says, you know, this word appeared this many times and it even sorts it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's just a, like, yeah, it did sentence dot lower dot split uh, and then throw it into a counter. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Interesting indeed. Also interesting is it turns out that is in fact a generator uh, that comes out of that. I did a little quick REPL action on it. Okay. uh, For some real time follow up there. Cool. Yeah. 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 All right. The first one I want to cover today comes from um, a foundational element of Scrapey. So Scrapey is the uh, project around extracting data from websites in a fast, cool way. You've got Scrapey.org. You've got Scrapey itself. But the thing I want to highlight is Parcel. You've probably heard of Beautiful Soup. And Beautiful Soup has been around for a really long time and is quite excellent. Yeah. Um, But I was looking for something, you know, is there something kind of newer that's got some new paradigms just to try out, basically? And I ran across Parcel, and it being the foundation of Scrapey kind of gives it some street cred. So it Parcel lets you extract data from XML and HTML documents. So the fact that it's XML as well, because I was working with uh, some RSS data for some things. And... You can do either CSS selectors, which are my favorite, but sometimes you got to get things that CSS doesn't really easily make it easy for you to get. So you can use XPath as well. It also works on JSON, I believe, even though the description doesn't say so. Yeah, JSON as well. So the CSS and XPath is for HTML and XML, and it uses JMESPath, J-M-E-S-E path expressions for JSON documents, which kind of lets you say, I've got some big structure, so I want to you know, navigate in kind of like you would with a CSS selector, like show me all the paragraphs and then get the images and get the title of the image out of every paragraph on the page, no matter how it's structured. You can kind of do that with this thing for JSON as well, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Instead of, you know, traversing it all over. And if you want two problems, you can try to solve it with one, uh, with regular expressions. (laughs) Here, I'll give you a quick example. If you just pull up the the page, it says, okay, we're going to take some text. The text has... Uh, a body, an H1, an unordered list, list items in there. Those list items are hyperlinks. The hyperlinks have URLs and they have text. There's also uh, some JSON in this thing. So if you just create a new selector object, you can say H1 colon colon text. And that is um, a CSS way to speak about the context, the content of that. And that pulls just the value out of there. So hi parcel or hello parcel is the the text inside the H1. So that simple little selector is a real simple example. So maybe it doesn't totally win you over, but you know, in a real true complicated HTML document, <laughs> it would be quite awesome. They also show how to do that with XPath. I don't know XPath very well. And then run a regular expression against it <laughs> to break that into pieces. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty intense. I'm not necessarily doing it, but you can do things like, for example, I want all the LIs that are only appearing in unordered lists, not the ordered list ones. So... You can say UL um, greater than LI, and the greater than means immediate child um, of not somewhere in the hierarchy. So you just do that CSS selector, and it gives you an iterable. It gives you all the list elements, and you can pull out the hyperlinks out of both of those by doing 
slash slash at href, right? To grab that out of the, the thing that comes back. And you can also do similar stuff for, um, for the XML that's in here. So you can say, just do, go find me the thing that has the name A, no matter where it appears in the document, or get me all the items to the list and so on. Pretty cool. Again, really simple example, but quite a neat little tool. I definitely need this. I've got, yeah, yeah I've got some uh, HTML that I'm parsing that are, it's not well-structured stuff. It's like, you know, generated from some CMS thing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's no identifiers anywhere. Um, there's hardly any classes. It just is like purely generated garb, div, div nightmares. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, and I'll, it'll still be lucky if I can find what I'm looking for with something like this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it'll help, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Here, give me. I'll see if I can pull up one more example real quick. Hold on, let it appear. Must appear. I just screenshot it. Also, in our our notes here, I put uh, the way to get an RSS feed out of a standard web page. So, how would you normally do that? You would go get the HTML, then you go to the head section, and in the head section, there's a bunch of links. They mean different things. One of them would have the um, rel type as what is that? I can't remember. It's like. Um, additional or or something like that uh and the uh, no the, that's the rel and then the rel type is something like rss application plus rss or you know whatever mm -hmm. the mime type is so you can just grab those things just saying head greater than link uh, use a little x path to grab the attributes out of the selector or out of the result and find which one of those and then you've got the url which is you know where the rss feed is like if you're looking if you're writing like a blog engine and somebody puts in the domain but not the actual rss entry you could get that page find the rss entry automatically for them and go on with just a couple lines of code that's pretty cool yeah. very neat yeah all right what you got next for us oh wait before before we move on brian before we move on let me tell everyone about our sponsor so as i said at the beginning sentry is sponsoring this episode and the next so Support the show. It really, really helps if you go and if you're considering getting error monitoring or uh, tracing for your application, check out pythonbytes.fm slash Sentry. Yes, you can Google them. We know <laughs> you can just Google them and sign up, but if you use the code pythonbytes or just use the link and click, uh, um, what is it down here? Try Sentry for free. Then it'll apply that code automatically, which will then let them know, hey, it's a good idea to sponsor the show. So let me tell you about them. So if you want to remove a little bit of stress from your life, if you're worried about errors on your website or errors your users are running into that you might not even know about, you know, you might want to install something like Sentry. So if, if you're waiting for your users to send you an email saying, hey, I'm running into this problem, how many of them got frustrated? What was their opinion of your app or your website or your API? Probably not great. How much better it would be if you had error or performance details immediately sent to you, including things like the call stack, the values of the local variables in that call stack, the active user who was logged in with say their email address, all in some report and you're like, oh, here's the problem. Here's the data I got to pass to it to write a unit test to reproduce it and so make sure it doesn't happen again. And here's the email of the user who I email and tell them, sorry, we fixed it. I know you didn't tell us, but we found out anyway, because we use Sentry. So with Sentry, it's not only possible, it's simple. We use it on Python Bytes. I use it on TalkPython. We use it in the TalkPython mobile apps. There's a way to just plug it right into Flutter as well. Nice. So pretty, pretty awesome. And once I did exactly that, we had some user on TalkPython training. They ran into a problem. I got a notification. I saw who it was. I fixed it. Sent them a message, said, hey, here's the problem. It's fixed. They said, 
I was about to write you. That's weird, but thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's <laughs> it was a really cool. great email to write. Yeah, it's really cool. So if if you want to have that kind of superpower for your web apps, your APIs, mobile apps, whatever, check out Sentry. So surprise and delight your users. Create your Sentry account at pythonbytes.fm slash Sentry and be sure to sign up with the code pythonbytes, all one word. It's good for two months of upgraded options for their Sentry business plan, which will give you 20 times as many monthly events as well as some other features. So thank you to Sentry for sponsoring our show. Cool. Yeah. And Ryan, now over to you. <laughs> well, um, I want to talk about Strucklog. I'm pretty sure we've covered it before. So Strucklog is... Uh, a pretty cool way to um, to to do some logging in your Python, especially if you're logging from uh, multiple services or or you know multiple threads. Um, and it's it's really great because you can add extra detail and it's got coloring and stuff. Structlog has some pretty good uh, documentation already, um, which uh, I, I love, and it, it's a beautiful tool. However, I wanted to highlight a new article I saw, and um, it really is is pretty fun. Wait, but hold on. Go back real quick. Is okay. The, is the icon logo of Strucklog, is that like Geordi from Star Trek, but a beaver? I think so. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not sure. Amazing. All right. Okay. <laughs> and on. he's holding two brackets. It's uh, so good. <laughs> uh, or curly braces. So um, so the, the article I wanted to look at was a comprehensive guide to Python logging with Strucklog. And one of the things I loved about it was just sort of the the beginning example. There's a there's a beautiful picture of a whole bunch of whole bunch of logged items. Um, but uh, the the uh, what I liked was just the starting one that just said, "Hey, all you have to do is do pip install struct log," and then uh, and then if you want to just start trying it, it's just a better logger than you're used to. So uh, import struct log, uh, do logger struct log get logger, and then you use it just like you normally would uh, logger info. Um, and then you, you can just, uh, oh, here's, here's an example. You can do debug info, warning, error, critical, all that sort of stuff. Um, there's, this is a big article talking about the different ways you can set it up with, um, uh, you can set the default log, logging level. You can configure it. You can set it up for different, um, have different loggers on different applications or different services, uh, different formatting. You can have different renderers. That's all awesome. And I'm really glad that it walks through that. But what I really, what I really like was just this basic tutorial of, yeah. hey, just do this, uh, do the the Git logger, and then just log stuff, and you get this beautiful output. Um, now, yeah, the color and the the weight and alignment of all the output is is really awesome there. Yeah. So often you like, okay, you want to do logging? Well, okay. So what you do is you set up the logger, then you register an output. So let's create a standard out stream writer thing and then we can push that into the thing into it and if you don't do that then no output shows up you're like what is going on here why yeah. is this not working you know it's yeah this is really nice this is, so it does show the beauty of struct log that you can get started really fast it has a lot of complexity and in, in it and it's really not that complicated and like i said the uh, the documentation is awesome and configuring configuring it and everything is not that hard but it does, it's a new tool so it's uh it's it's great that it's an easy way to get on on board with it start using it start having these great logs um and both it can be for uh going to output but also you can log to files of course um and you know, great tool and i love this tutorial that starts super easy and then gets into the more complex so check it out excellent excellent what you got right. for us the last one of the main ones 
This one comes to us from Matthias Bach and is created by Hennick. And I mentioned it before and it's stamina. Okay. But I didn't know too much about it. There were some questions in the audience like, how does it relate to tenacity and other things, right? So I, I thought, all right, this is a cool thing. I'll, I'll focus a little bit more. And it has direct struct log integration. How's that for a segue, Brian? Yeah, well, I think struct log is a Hennick thing too, maybe. Yeah, perhaps it is. It seems like it would be. So with tenacity, the idea is you can put decorators and other things onto functions or operations and say, if something goes wrong, try it again. That's the tenaciousness of that package, right? That like, yeah, errors will not stop me. But uh, as Hennick describes it, the tenacity is great, but unopinionated. And you can work yourself into ways where you might be using it wrong or causing other sorts of, you know, infinite loop type of issues. Okay. So the idea is that stamina is an opinionated wrapper around tenacity. So it's not a replacement for, but a, a simplified API for tenacity with the goal of being as ergonomic as possible and doing the right thing by default with minimizing the potential for doing it wrong. So uh, that's pretty cool. Basically, Annex says uh, he used to copy and paste the way he was working with tenacity over and over. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool to just make a package that kind of embedded those uh, ways of working with it? For example, uh, instead of retrying on an exception, retry only on a certain exception, you know, or a certain type of exception, right? I want to retry only this only on database connection errors, not if there's a foreign key constraint error, because that's never going to go away, right? That's always going to be a problem with the data, but maybe the database will come back online. So let's retry that one. There's exponential backoff, which comes from tenacity as well. But what about with jitter between the retries? Instead of just going, I'm going to go one second, three seconds, five seconds. Let's go one second, then three seconds-ish, then five seconds-ish, and so on. Limit the total number of retries. Limit the total amount of time, but all at once, right? So not just the number of retries, but the time and retries. And this one is uh, very relevant to me right now. I've been thinking a lot about Python typing. Talk more about that later. But with type hints, you get things like MyPy and PyCharm and other tools that say you're using this function correctly or you're using it wrong. And with the way the decorators work with stamina is it preserves type hint information when you decorate a function that is type hinted. Honestly, I don't know how to do that, but I'm really glad that it like decorating a function with one of these retries doesn't wipe away its type information. That's super cool. It log uh, logs with struct log, retries with basic metadata if they happen to be installed. Um, and you can, this one you might like, Brian, you can easily deactivate it with a fixture or something like that, uh, or just globally for the whole test run so that you don't retry in a thousand times while you're doing a unit test, testing for an exception on purpose. Yeah, uh, that's, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so super, super easy to work with. Um, just basically put a decorator, right? Stamina at stamina.retry. And in this case, you can say, only on the HTTPX HTTP errors and only try it three times. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. So a lot more you can do. It's uh, async by default. So you don't you just uh, decorate an async def function and it does that as well. So very, very cool. People should certainly check it out. And you can also see in the example, he's doing reveal type, which I believe comes from MyPy. And you can reveal type on the example here, which is a decorated thing. And it shows you that what you get back is a coroutine of any, any, and the HTTP X response, uh, which is basically how it was um, set up to go, right? Set up to work, right? Input on an int and then output on that type of thing. So I think it's a pretty cool library. It's something I will 
probably start using. I previously used Tenacity, but you know, why not? Yeah, looks pretty, pretty good. Cool. Indeed. All right. That's it for our, our main items, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Extras. Yeah. What I else a, have you gathered up? I've got a few. Do you want to run through? We'll run through mine first. Um, Let's do it. So um, I have a, so the PyTest check, it's a little PyTest plugin I've got. I had this weird request and, and I guess I, I, I'm not sure how to deal with it. I was curious. I'd like to talk through it to see what, um, what the, the audience has to say. So somebody said, Hey, is it possible to start making GitHub releases? And uh, I mean, I do, I do versions. Um, and so I was, wasn't sure what was going on here. And then I, and then I, I thought maybe this is one of those people that have done a lot of these requests and a lot of repos. So I searched for um, this, um, this issue. And sure enough, um, there is 157 identical issues on different GitHub repos. So speaking of tenacity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my first reaction was, I don't want to do that. That's lame. Um, because they're just pushing work on other people. Um, but uh but also maybe it's okay so the argument here is that like somebody can say watch releases and then get notified if uh, a new release happens and they don't and you can't do that with tags or something i'm not sure mm-hmm. um so uh um my f- yeah first reaction was i don't want to deal with it however i think there's um uh oh i didn't don't have the tab up here but i think there's some um github actions that can do this for me every if i'm just doing it by pushing a tag up and if it could do it by by itself a few minutes worth of work i'd like to know what other people are dealing with with that if they if they've added github releases to um to their project or not uh yeah just curious so what's a good uh, venue for them to let you know about that oh yeah um probably probably i'm uh fossil on um yeah. Brian Hawkins and Fostadon, or uh, the show has a contact form. You can email us. So, yeah, that, that would work be good. Too. Um, okay. Uh, so, there's that. Uh, I threw right across. Oh, maybe this is for uh, uh, funny things. We'll save that for later. Um, <laughs> Not yet. Um, I just pushed up the fixtures chapter for the PyTest course. Um, and, uh, and I've got the, the intro. The intro's got a nice slide deck in it. So, check out the the preview uh, that's, that's, uh, for chapter three, uh, we're thinking about the course, um, and I'm trying to describe uh, how PyTest fixtures with work with like graphics, not really graphics, but you know, slides and drawings and things like that. So, mm-hmm. those are my extras. Um, how about you? I've got a couple things for us. So, first of all, there's a shiny new Python 3.12 to be had, and that was as of yesterday, 3.12 RC1. Neato. Release can yeah, release candidate's important because it's like we're really not changing it now. This is bug fixes. So if you've been thinking like, okay, there's there's uh, more features for F strings, or there's this crazy thing that Eric Snow pulled off called the per interpreter gill. That's pretty awesome. Um, buffer protocol things are accessible in Python and many other things, right? Uh, if you were waiting around thinking, these are all relevant to me, I want to try them out, but I don't want to mess with stuff that might go away, might change, might, I'm just going to wait because I'm not really going to use it until it comes out in October. Well, it should be about time to start looking into it with a release candidate. So that's why this is double noteworthy. Yeah, it's also a really good time if you haven't started to start um, testing your package if you are uh, if you have packages you support um, to, to add 3.12 testing. Exactly. 
Cool. Okay. Then I got three conference-ish things. PyCon UK 2023 is going to be Friday 20, uh, 22nd uh, September to the, uh, to the Monday. So that's pretty cool. I'd love to go to PyCon UK, but it is quite far away. Although I do love the UK. So if you are closer and you can get there, then that'd be a pretty excellent conference to go check out, I think. Yeah. Also, in the general neighborhood, Eindhoven, as uh, Pi Data Eindhoven is going to be November 30th. So check that out as well. And the call for proposals is open. Finally, this one's a little closer to home for us. Um, this one is Pi Data Seattle. Now, normally we wouldn't give a shout out to just a meetup because we can't just go to the huge long list. Um, but Don reached out to me and they've got some pretty cool stuff. So this is the Language Creators Charity Fundraiser for Pi Data. And uh, the fundraiser goes to NumFocus and Last Mile Education Fund. So good stuff there. And the whole thing is, let's scroll down a little for pictures here. We've got Adele Goldberg, who created Smalltalk. Guido Van Rossum, who created, you know, this thing called Python. Anders Halsberg, who did Turbo Pascal, C Sharp, and TypeScript. As well as James Goslin from Java. So this is a live in-person event that people can check out. So when is it? It is September 19th, so 20 days away or whatever. So if you're around there want to be part of that, there's no online version. This Because they want it to be fundraiser for charity, it's it's all about trying to get people to show up in person and be part of it. So cool. those are all my extras. Nice. Yeah. How about some jokes? <sighs> yeah. Do you have one? Uh, I don't know if I can. I, sh I, can't, I don't know if I can tell you about this. <laughs> so this one, I don't believe was sent into us. I just ran across it somewhere. How does a librarian access remote computers securely? Shh, SSH. Shh. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? It's very bad. Yeah. It's very bad. Okay. I love it. Anyway, that's that's the one I got for us. Shh. Oh. How does a librarian access remote computers securely? Well, I have a GitHub repo um, <laughs> called the uh, Chat GPT Failures. Um, and it's got, it's just got a big list of things that have gone bad. Um, and so this is pretty cool. Um, so it looks like it, uh, new, new Bing failures. Um, let's see. Uh, mad at a the one about the journalist. Who was the journalist on that one? Uh, Bing gets madly in love with a journalist, tries to break up his marriage and really stalkerish effect. And then lies about that journalist in a chat <laughs> with another user, uh, keeps being inappropriate and dark. So yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, but Ke Kevin Roos. Okay. That's who it was. <laughs> uh anyway so there's there's so those You're are a bad user to ask me to do that i'm not a bad user i'm a good user i'm a good chat <laughs> i'm a good uh, chat bot oh my gosh so yeah so uh, yeah some failures on chat gpt so uh, i'd love to see this but kept updated it hasn't been updated for a while so um yeah we need some <laughs> new ones <laughs> it's pretty funny it's crazy how this stuff goes a little bit sideways isn't it 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 is and i'm I, I'm still on, I still don't know if I need to care about it a lot or if it's one of no. those, uh, I don't know if it's one of those things like crypto that maybe will go away um, or <laughs> it hasn't maybe. really, I know crypto hasn't gone away and there's so many wonderful uses for uh, it's know, blockchain. blockchain. Right? It's a blockchain. Come on now. <sighs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, hey. I, I do think it's interesting with the large language models when you ask it subjective stuff, right? It could just be weird about it, um, or you, it can make up things about like previous um, case law 
you know, you got those lawyers who got in trouble for submitting a bunch of documents and uh, briefs created by ChatGPT that were false. But at the, on the other hand, like you can ask it programming questions and it'll give you pretty good answers. Yeah. Right? Like I asked for to solve a really complicated regex problem that we were talking about before. And it's just like, boom, here you go. And here's a couple of examples in Python. Thank you. And those, I don't mind too bad because you can test it. Like if I run this, do the, the things I want out of the reg expression come out or no? If no, then it's a bad chatbot. If yes, it's a good chatbot. Yeah. So, so anyway. Um, I, I do, one of the things I just listened to recently was um, uh, Freakonomics has started a series on, uh, can, on AI. And the first one is, can AI take a joke? Um, and it is, it is interesting, an interesting discussion. One of the things that they talked about was, um, uh, it was the current like strike for uh, the writers and uh, and actors uh, in Hollywood right now? Right. So, um, and I thought that one of the I, I I didn't know some of the details, so hearing a few of the details around it are interesting. Of of uh, like the initial creation of thing. Um, so often you can have an idea and then hire some people to write more stuff about around it. But um, if you didn't come up with the original idea, you don't get as much money. So if they just have AI come up with the original idea, they don't have to pay anybody the large amount of money. Um, oh, I see. Uh, so, You're kind of filling out the details yeah. of the joke, yeah. Um, and then some experience around writing of using uh, some AI to do writing. Uh, one of the, the commentaries was, uh, you still have to do human work to come up with the prompts to like get it to do something. And then you have to validate it afterwards to make sure that what they said, what it came up with was real. And those are still kind of humans have to do. Um, that's one of the fears I have around people using AI to uh, to generate test cases. Because if they're generating, if AI is coming up with your code and coming up with your tests, there's no humans verifying that it actually is doing right. what you want it to do. Um, at some point, you need to have people there. So uh, someone's got to be in the loop. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, interesting. We'll see. Uh, it's I'm definitely not a luddite trying to. Uh, Actually, there's a discussion about Luddite also in the, in there that um, uh, Luddite apparently I didn't know this the, that it, it isn't people that there weren't people that were uh, against technology. It was people that were against uh, uh, craftsmen that were against the shoddy craftsmanship of manufactured items. Uh, that mm -hmm. um, the there wasn't a, there wasn't enough people actually making quality goods. There were just uh, like factories building low quality goods um that's what they're opposed to and that's interesting uh, analogy that there. is uh, yeah but anyway way on a, on a tangent there so but <laughs> uh, excellent anyway um well thanks for being here as always thank, thank you. you to everyone who listened see you later bye